edition of Terry's Talking. David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, here as always with Terry Pluto. Terry, how's it going? I'm well, David. How was Thanksgiving for you? Thanksgiving was good. Well, we spent, we did the service at the Pavement of Rest in Akron, the city mission. We do the evening things of the holidays there all the time. And um, we saw my quote-unquote mom at the nursing home in the morning. So it was good. It was relaxing. And um, I just, I enjoy that type of ministry. So. Yeah, and I know you, you. every holiday, it seems like you have that. Yeah, the holidays. We do it about 25 to 30 times a year. Um, we, it's like the third Monday, the fifth Monday, the holidays, and pinch hitting. So my wife, uh, Roberta, and our friend, Gory Williams, and myself. So you know what you want to do? It's like having great blocking is to have tremendous music in front of you. And that's, <laughs> what, that's what Gory and Roberta supply. So there you go. Yeah, I had a uh, nice uh, weekend with my family. We had a surprise party for my sister for her 50th, so it was all good. And um, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody who's listening to our podcast, Terry. As you know, it's been growing every week, which is very exciting. You want to be on the growing side. So thank you to all the people who've been listening. And uh, Especially since we can't grow hair. That's right. <laughs> you have none, and I wear a cap a lot, so it's always it's a good thing, but it is exciting. And I'm thank, you know, just like last week, I thank people for, for reading us. I'm thankful now they're listening. Um, and I'm thankful like on my Facebook, they throw up some, uh, picture or some, uh, questions with the picture. In fact, you could even just peek at some point, if you've been longing to see a picture of Anthony Bennett, he's there. Yeah. And there were people saying, Terry, why are you doing this to us? <laughs> <laughs> it was a bad memory for a lot of Cavs fans. So, um, hey, listen, let's get into it a little bit today. Today, uh, earlier, we're, we're taping a little bit later on Wednesday because Andrew Berry uh, was available for, for questions today. And you jumped in with one about pre-snap penalties and why they keep happening to the Browns. But just in general, before we get into the pre-snap penalties, what did you think of what you heard from Andrew Berry today? Kind of what I expected, not a whole lot. You know, he's very careful and circumspect to what he says. Um, I think they're at the point you know, in the back of their mind, they're hoping, can they make the playoffs? But they have to have real doubts about that, just the way it's gone. Because remember, they started three and one. It's a weird six and six team. You know, it's really, it's three and one. And then since then, you know, you're three and five. And in six, I'm sorry, in the last uh, seven games, they, you know, they can't score more than 17 points except once against uh uh, that big blowout with Cincinnati. So they know they have problems. Um, I asked about pre-snap penalties. And it was kind of tied to coaching. And, you know, I, for a little while, I was thinking about maybe they ought to give it over to Van Pelt. But I'm kind of like, let's just see what Stefanski does the rest of the year. Can he clean this up? He was brought in to call plays. He was brought in to run the offense. Um, it did work well last year. So let's see. Yeah, it's interesting. There's kind of two levels to this play calling thing, right? Number one is like, is Stefanski doing a good job with the play calling after meeting with his staff during the week? And the second thing, and you've touched on this before, is, uh, and Doug Maurice, our colleague, did as well this week, but is Stefanski taking care of, quote unquote, the head coach stuff that he should be taking care of um, while he's doing the offense? Or would it be better to put some of the offensive burden on Alex Van Pelt and be able to pay more attention to the head coaching stuff? So where do you kind of fall on that? line do you think it's well, affecting that, the other well thing? that was the exact question i asked barry and he just basically said that you know kevin handled it last year they think he can handle it they have a ton of confidence in him as a play caller 
Uh, he talked about how they've been trying to address the pre-snap penalties. They're still number one in the NFL. Scott Pasco, our colleague, actually, he had a thing. I didn't realize it. They were third last year in pre-snap penalties. So it isn't as if this is a huge rise. But when you're not playing as well and you're not scoring, all these little things uh, really do come up and bite you. I just, David, I don't know how to judge any of these guys because Baker's not healthy. They can say whatever they want. The medical people can say whatever they want. Look at tapes of him from last year to this year. It's a different guy. He's not moving as well. He's not throwing the ball as hard. Um, You could tell his confidence is shaken. And when you're a play caller and your quarterback is shaky and he's beat up, you get kind of like, where do I go? Who, you know, what type of play is the best one? What should we do here? Everything is off kilter. You know, Barry mentioned the passing game is the thing that needs to really improve. Then he quickly went into, well, it's more than one guy. And that, yes, it is. But the main guy, in fact, I call it an accurate but not true. Yes, it's accurate. You need the offensive line working. You need the, you need the receivers catching the ball well. You need all those things. But if the quarterback is not right, your passing game is not going to be right. Regardless of the rest of it. That's my feeling. Yeah. Well, I think you're right on that. And, you know, uh, it was interesting watching that last drive the other night on that fourth down play. Yeah. Everybody was covered except for David Njoku. And this is something that we, you and I have been talking about on the phone this week, but I, I wanted to bring it up here. It, I am still blown away that Nick Chubb was not on the field for that last drive. I don't drive. get it. And I get what the Browns are saying. The, the logic was, all right, Kareem Hunt is our third down and our two-minute back. He's the guy who's out there in the two-minute offense, and he wasn't available. So we put out the Ernest Johnson because Kareem wasn't available. And if you're a Browns fan watching that game and you're looking at it, you're like, all right, who are the big playmakers on this offense? And maybe David Njoku can make a downfield play, and maybe Donovan Peoples-Jones, but your best offensive player, is Nick Chubb. And I, I still don't get it. What is it about Nick Chubb that he could not have been on the field for that two minute drive, at least as a, a, de- a decoy for a screen or a draw play or a swing pass. He's a guy who can take the ball 60 yards. And the fact that he wasn't on the field is it's, I'm just really perplexed by that still. Even he also now. had caught two passes in that game earlier. He's caught 12 passes this year. I mean, I, I might remember one or two drops since he's been with the Browns, but it's not like this guy is stone hands. Don't throw it to him. I think they just were blocked into this is how they do it. Uh, Kareem's calf muscle tightened up. So Dernish, you get in there. And that if that's how it came down, that's pretty poor. Yeah, to have your most explo- – how many, how many times have we seen Nick Chubb take a screen pass 50 yards for a score, yeah. 40 yards, and take get it into the red zone? And, I mean, uh, I'd rather dump it off to him than dump it off to Njoku. Seriously, it's not a knock on Njoku, but just that if you if you get – somebody needs to get 10 yards with their legs after they catch the ball on, in that shorter area and break tackles and that, that would be Chubb. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's what, and I just think things are messed up, David. And when the quarterback is not playing well, it messes your, your playbook is all over the place. You're trying to figure out what plays will work with how he's doing at the moment. And that's why I think you see a lot of indecisiveness and, and that there. And, you know, Barry went to almost painful lengths of talking about how the, you know, one is he medically cleared to play 
Two, is he medically able to deliver a winning performance? Three, how does he play in practice? And Baker checked all three of those boxes. So, you know, we play him. But I would just say, how does he play in the games? And, you know, I would have loved, boy, is, I, I try not to just go back into the same things there. I, but I just would have loved to have seen him play that game after not having played against Detroit. He hurt his foot against Detroit. And they didn't need to play. Now, maybe they still lose, but my goodness, the defense played, you know, just a, a powerhouse game. Lamar Jackson, four interceptions. You know, this is the time you win. They got, they got four turnovers in tournament of three points. And now I'm not into, let's play Case Keenum, the rest of the, I know what Case Keenum is. He's a really good backup. So that doesn't do a lot for me. Unless Baker's all beat up again and you need to play a game. That's fine. But the perfect time to play case, why you had him there for that money, for that that type of money, was against uh, uh, was against uh, Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, just like they did against the, Denver. Yeah, to set up the Baltimore game. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, everybody was asking Andrew Barry about the rough patch that they've hit here, and you know, mm-hmm. they have a late bye week, and and one of the things he said was, you know, adversity is where you find growth. Like that's how you find out what an organization mm-hmm. is made of, and and it's how you really grow. Um, you know, we're getting a little granular here talking about personnel groupings and Baker's injuries and who should be playing. But I, I guess in the big picture question coming out of this bye week and coming out of this adversary, adversity, do you see the Browns making the playoffs at this point? No, no, I don't. Unless Baker, though, these two weeks really, really heals up well. Uh, I'm very encouraged for the most part by the defense and what they were able to do against Baltimore. Because that speed, you know, that form of attack. And remember, they really went after Joe Burrow, too. I'm just looking at the, the teams in the division. And when they faced Pittsburgh, they lost 15 to 10. I believe the most points they've allowed in these um, division games is 16. They keep doing that. The Browns should win. But, I don't, but the Browns can't score 17 points right now. There's been in three of the last six games, they've only scored one touchdown. So that that's where it's a, it's a problem now in terms of how they're going to handle adversity. That's going to be interesting. How does Baker hold up with this? And by the way, Kevin Stefanski, you know, these guys always act, oh, I've been through a lot or whatever. He's been through hardly nothing as a head coach. Called 19 plays in one plus seasons in Minnesota. Comes here. Yes, it was very hard with no rookie camps and COVID. But he got drilled in his first game. He won his next four. And that just set them up. And since then, 11 and 5, coach of the year. You know, his staff is working so well together. He's in the basement and they drill Pittsburgh. I mean, and that's actually has to do with the head coach, too. Absolutely. Because people say, well, Van Pelt called the place. Yes, he did. But that was all planning. That's how well they work together. And then That's what they say about they, they say bosses should know they're a good boss if they're not around and things work wonderfully when they're not there. Right. That's yeah. the old saying. Yep. And, and it's true. And so then this year, you know, we, we this is the kind of year you would think you would have as a rookie head, head coach. So I I'm confused on him, but I want to see how he comes out of this, how he handles things. And it's got to be beyond. Well, you know, I was out. We were we were we got to coach better. And OK, we know that. Let's well, how about showing it? Because that's one of the things when you bring up. You know, we need to coach better. Keep saying it. Fans and players will say, yeah, you do. Um, but I, I think he's got a tough task because of Baker's condition. 
Yeah, and the lack of and the lack of weapons that they have after mm-hmm. the OBJ moves. So there's no doubt about it. So speaking of weapons, I wanted. Would, sorry, Terry, were you going to say something? You know, OBJ. I, I just can't go. I can't go. I know he hit the big pass with with Stafford with there, and maybe he plays great there. But there's a thing too in sports. Sometimes he wasn't going to play well for you. He just wasn't. And so to go there, I mean, I would like to see, you know, what what they could do with. Uh, People's Jones, but David, this guy's got to get the ball downfield, and people have to get separation. Yeah, they get separation, yeah. and I just don't see the the arm strength from him right now. I mean, they're, they're more floaters than that, or then they sail high. It, it's a strange dynamic with his throwing motion, and I'm not good enough to know why. You know, how much is the left shoulder hurting? How much is it? You know, if it's foot and the knees, you plant your legs. And I know everybody's beat up this time of year, but at the quarterback, it's injuries pay, play a bigger role because um, he, he, can't, he touches the ball all the time. Right. So what, what was your take on, uh, speaking of receivers, Richard Higgins being a healthy scratch the other night? Uh, football he's in the doghouse again for something. I don't know. He's not had a particularly good year. And, you know, I, I, love, I always joke that I'm Higgins' agent. But I find it – I found it odd. And I also know that this year he just – some of the games he's had 20, 30 snaps and he hardly got the ball. So, uh, I don't – I mean, I would have played him just to have another guy out there. Would it have mattered? I kind of doubt it just the way that went. Yeah, it's going to be really the, – the Browns are going to have to overhaul that receiver room, obviously. Yeah. I mean, and we should probably write something about this, but should Jarvis Landry be back next year with his big contract? And, I mean, mm-hmm. he's kind of gone from being a marquee number one type receiver to maybe somebody who's a number three, somebody who plays out of the slot a little bit. And so the Browns are going to have to draft over him a little bit to get some downfield uh, explosiveness, I think, right? Yeah, sort of goes or get somebody. And that was never his game anyway, David. You know, Jarvis was always a reliable receiver, middle to short range passes. And that's that's how he used to get 100 catches a year in Miami. And I like that. I mean, that guy's a, you know, he's a move the chains guy. Those guys are important. He is. He brings uh, it every week. There's no doubt about and that. And now the question with him, remember this knee thing, you know, that's been an issue. And then the age, you were correct though. He is really on the spot. They're watching him close. I can tell you that in terms of, do they pick that option up or not? And, you know, they may just decide we're out of Odell, we're out of Jarvis. Now we got money. Let's go shopping. Yeah. And there, it's a great receiver class this year too. I think there's going to be some talent up high mm-hmm. and, um, a lot of people are thinking there could be some Ohio State Buckeyes in the future, maybe in orange and brown. So we'll see. So, all right. So the Browns are off this weekend and they'll be back at it with they'll have a rematch with the Ravens a week from Sunday, which is December 12th. And this one will be down at First Energy Stadium at one o'clock. And uh, boy, talk about a pivotal game. It's it, the season can take uh, it's a fork in the road game in a lot of ways. And we've been saying well, that for a while, it, but I, if they win, it keeps us interested. Yeah. Well, if they lose, I don't feel like writing it. <laughs> I really don't. You know, I mean, I used to hear, oh, you guys like it when it lose, you know, it sells papers or whatever. I finally told, I could roll out the stats. You win, more internet hits, more papers sold, it's more. You lose, yes, you know, something drastic comes out of that. But just, we did not do real well in terms of, the 0 and 16 and 1 and 15 years compared to the 11 and 5 years, if you were to stack up uh, the number of internet hits or even you know papers sold, et cetera, on Mondays. Well, I always find the Browns fascinating. So 
regardless I mean, of what happens. They do. We well, win. I mean, the numbers are always big. Oh, yeah. But, but they're, we'll, but they're outrageous when they're winning. They're just yeah. outrageous, you know. Yeah. And and that's my point. Uh, and also, like, the classic was the Cavs won the title, and they sold 530,000 papers with people lined up at the Tiedemann plant to buy them when you just kept reprinting things all week. Can you it's imagine not like we're Browns spoiled here? Bowl. Yeah. Uh, you, you would run out of ink and paper. You would. People would be collecting those. All right, Terry, let's take yes. a break. We'll come back and talk some Cavaliers. Um, I, we want to talk a little Kent State football. They're playing in the MAC championship game yep. on Saturday against Northern Illinois. So we'll talk about that a little bit. I know uh, you've got a faith column this week that we can get into. We got some Hey Terry questions and some Terry's trivia. So uh, let's take a break. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. Hey, we're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell with Terry Pluto. Terry, Big news on the Cavs beat this week. Our beat writer, Chris Fedor, and his wife, Holly, have a new baby boy. Elliot Fedor has been welcomed into the world, and we congratulate them on that. And uh, pretty awesome. First round draft pick. <laughs> That's right. Chris was tweeting. He was a week early. He couldn't wait when he heard the news that Evan Mobley was back. <laughs> <laughs> I know that they've been, you know, they've been excited about that for a long time and wanting that to happen. So that's wonderful. Yeah, it is. And speaking of wonderful, how about the Cavaliers? They're kind of just the story of the NBA, I think, this season. And we, we keep talking about it every week. But uh, if there was any doubt about the difference that Evan Mobley makes to this team, I think we saw it when he came back off that elbow injury, especially the other night in Dallas. Uh, really something. Yeah, there's a dynamic that I just did not expect to see between Mobley and Jared Allen and Laurie Markkinen you know, the three, seven footers. And um, I was talking a little bit just on background the other day with, with uh, Kobe Altman. And he said that, you know, we all know what it's almost like now. It's like, it's almost like Evan's been in the league five years. Oh, we all know what he could do, you know? And actually we pretty much do, you know, he, he goes after shots. He can dunk. He can make a mid-range jumper. He could defend a point guard. He could defend a center. And he doesn't say a word. And he just plays. You know, write 15 and 8 next to his name every game and see if it goes above that. You know, with along some block shots. And he leaves the NBA. And he can test 15 shots a game. It's a it's a new age stat for an old world value. I like that. You know, they but he the, the interesting thing is Laurie Marketin who never played small forward or the number three, as it's known, the NBA parlance in his life, comes to the Cavs and he's told, all right, we're going to need you to do this. And he's seven foot. And while he's somewhat athletic, it's like, you mean you want me to chase around like guys like LeBron James and Paul George? and the rest? Uh, Yeah, that's what we need you to do. But we have guys behind you to help. Now, a lot of times when you hear that, you know, especially on a bad team, that is a that is just a lie <laughs> because <laughs> a guy blows by you. Their guy is not coming to help. But if you watch Allen and you watch Mobley, they are helping Markin. In other words, Markin knows he's if he does get beat, those guys are going to come and try to block the shot, and he better get his get back under the basket too to cover you know the man that Mobley the rotation. Left. Yeah, yes, they are rotating, and they are big and they are long and they are athletic. And Markenton, you know, has been the unsung hero of this. It took a while for him to get his shooting together, probably because he was just stunned by the small forward stuff, which he never expected. But 
now he's making shots from the outside. And they, they told him too, don't fall into just being the stretch four, as they called it. In other words, the, the tall guy just shoots threes all the time. We want you to take them, but you're athletic. You know, in other words, they're trying to get him back to being as they call a basketball player. And that's the thing that I like about the Cavs. They are not three point obsessed. They are not trying to go out and score 120, 130 points a game. You know, they want to slow you down. You know, they want to keep that score around 100 points. Uh, I think right now, when I wrote the other day, they were second in the league in giving up points. And I think they might be first now, the fewest points. But it's not just that. It's also they have all these defensive efficiency stats and they're like fifth and they are scoring. You know, it's a little tough. Sometimes they go through uh, patches where the the points don't rain rain down like in modern NBA, but they give you playing this way gives you a shot to win almost every night, especially on the road. Well, and the other night in Dallas was a blowout. I mean, it was a laugh. Yeah. They, they, the, the benches were cleared with four minutes left. And it's funny. The Cavs remind me a little bit about when a football team has to play Navy or Army. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you all season you prepare against your for your conference opponents. And then you see Navy on the schedule. And you're like, oh, my God, it, it's the triple option. we got to change everything we're doing defensively. And you completely have to prepare just for that for one week. And the other night, the Mavericks, I mean, you're talking about the Cavs with the three seven-footers. Just the presence of those three guys, I think the Mavericks had a three-second violation at, in the first half because they 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 weren't sure what they were seeing, like, and they yeah. weren't sure what to do. And 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 somebody I forget who it was got caught in the lane, and that's the kind of thing that like the Cavs are so different that I think it's throwing a lot of people off in some ways, a little bit like Navy football would. Yes, and if you're and it takes a real buy-in to get the guys to do this, but this team has it. And I just was really fearful when that schedule came out and you had eight of 11 on the road, you're going to play all these kids. You're just going to get, you know, if you're three and eight after that thing's over and then the season's over, but instead they went six and five. Um, and they, you know, they, they've weathered, they've lost Sexton and with fans that keep saying they're better without Sexton or whatever, what was going on there? Yes. Yeah, Sexton would start within four minutes, he's out of that game. And then he was really becoming what they saw him being down the line, a scorer off the bench. That was going to be his role. And then you see, you know, how Kevin Love has, I think he likes this bench thing. He's there with Rubio, comes off. Now Kevin goes in. Oh man, Kevin got 10 points. He got six rebounds. He played great. And maybe he just, with all the things he's gone through emotionally over the years and his injuries physically, where there just isn't as much pressure on him to come off the bench as help. And as uh, an NBA person said to me, now Kevin's often playing against backups and that helps uh, him. It's, he's just, you know, he's still with his, even with his uh, problems where he doesn't move as well or whatever, he's still a smart player. So he's against a guy who's not that good, or maybe a young guy isn't really ready for him. And you see now he's throwing the ball out. And, and I think also where he, I mean, Kevin's been around enough to know what good defense looks like and he's seeing it. And then there's some pressure there for you better get on the boards too, Kevin, when you come in, all the young guys are. Yep. And it seems like there was so much angst about, Oh, what are they going to do with Kevin Love? Yeah. And, and the Olympic trials didn't go real well. And the whole Olympic experience was just not good for him. And he's, they can't trade him. And, and the angst level was so high yeah. going into the season. And you're right. The whole thing is just, they just kind of let the air out of the balloon. And it's just like, Hey, you know what? We're going to bring him off the bench. He's going to play 20 minutes and everything's good. And Come maybe on. the fact he didn't fight it in the least 
means he welcomed it. And it's working. He did he did not give them pushback at all about not starting. He did the old whatever's best for the team line. And you hear that, but um, it, it, his practice habits were good and, and the other guys. And I think, you know, Kevin sees, I mean, I mean Mobley, Mobley's degree of basketball knowledge for at the age of 20 with one year of college is remarkable. You know, his father did a tremendous job with him. His father coached him at AAU. His father's an assistant at USC um, and taught this young man, you know, the defensive mindset. And by the way, notice when he blocks shots, they almost always stay in bounds. He doesn't mm-hmm. just whack them into the stands, you know, little things like that. And so the players see that. And then on top of it, Allen is sort of the same way in terms of he just wants to play ball. He's just figuring out he can score a lot more than they let him do in Brooklyn in that. He never misses. He's still now he's averaging 16 points and he's still shooting 70 <laughs> percent. Pretty impressive numbers. Yeah, the, the Cavs have a couple of old souls playing for. Them yeah, now. they it's do. And that's, that's yeah. important. And then you turn around, you have Rubio who likes to move the ball. You know, they, 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 they really do stress the, the ball movement. They're just nice to watch. And this has been a long time since I said the Cavs were nice to watch. Yeah, and the fans are enjoying it too. And it's going to be a fun uh, fun season to follow them along here. So they're uh, at Miami tonight, second game of a three-game road trip. And then they are at Washington on Friday and then back home on Sunday. So quick road trip and back home. And let's see if they can keep it going. Be interesting. So, all right, Terry, we're going to talk a little Kent State football. Speaking of surprising, Kent State, won a thrilling game over Miami of Ohio to earn a spot in the MAC championship game. They're playing up in Detroit at Ford field against Northern Illinois. It's on ESPN Saturday at noon, really fun story here. I know you've been writing about this and, and the job Sean Lewis has done and kind of how it seems like Kent state's kind of found a good formula for winning and running stuff in the budget and kind of doing stuff the right way. Right. Yes. Yeah, so is something I'm working on for the weekend, but it's, I mean, who'd have thunk it, as they say, because the last time he, they had winning seasons back-to-back was in the 70s. And, I mean, they had coaches there like Dean Pease who couldn't do, get it done. And he went on to, you know, be an elite NFL defensive coordinator. You know, Daryl Hazel was there for two years and went to Purdue. and um, But they have he had a winning season. So, Lewis, you know, he signed a, a contract extension in the spring. The thing you have to look at, Lewis, well, he was 2-10 and his first year. And then the last three years, um, he's had winning records overall. And the most important one, now I'm going to add another victory to him, he's, he is 14-6 and six in the MAC. Because remember, they start off with three money games, and these are brutal money games. You know, you go to play top 10 teams. Their goal is to bring in $5 million with these three games. So you start almost 0-3. And that could demoralize a, a team in a program, but Lewis has not allowed that to happen. So it's helped them financially with this. You know, they have the, the fast flash thing. You know, everything is fast with them. The ball is snapped every 17 seconds. And they run those plays, and they've got Dustin Crum, a quarterback that, you know, just made for the system. Um, it's, it's just so much fun to see that. Now they're good. They're giving up a lot of points too. I mean, this is, this is sort of the opposite of the Cavaliers. They're not, they're giving, they weren't outgun you. Um, but you talk about different, see, there it is. There's different again, the opposite way. 
I, I, one of the guys I talked to was a strength coach. And he was saying how they set for the story coming up, how they set up these drills where, you know, the, the, the 17 seconds to snap the ball. So they have different position people, uh, position guys run sprints a certain distance, kind of match up with the idea to get lined up in 17 seconds. In other words, it's not just go run gassers. It's these, they're, they're very defined at how they do this. And to try and mimic the game, the game pace in yes, movements I mean, of a game. And you get yeah. 300 pounders. You got to move. That's what they're, they're yelling. So this is how we play. And it's, it's very interesting to listen to. I mean, still a shocker. You know, there's Lewis who nobody ever heard of getting this job and goes to intend his first year. Second year, they're three and six. They're getting beat badly at halftime at Buffalo. And they came back and went it. In fact, Lewis didn't say much at halftime. He just wrote on a big board in the word believe. That's the Ted Kent, Lasso. Yeah, Kent State, <laughs> but probably before Ted Lasso, you know, 2019. Maybe he was out of ideas at that point. Well, they came back and beat Buffalo. Then they won out and they went and beat Utah State in the, in the bowl game. Uh, you know, last year they were three and one. Although the thing that bugs them from last year is the end of the year, and I forgot the team. I think it might have been Buffalo. Again, their, their fourth game because they only played four because they gave up 70 points and got hammered on national TV. So a lot of the thing this year was to bring the whole group back, and they have, and, and here they are. Well, you have to hope that Kent can – I'm sure they're hoping they can keep Sean Lewis uh, under contract. I know he just did sign that extension, but this has been a crazy week, as we know, for yeah, coaches it has. Uh, bringing well, cardboard box to work, throwing their stuff in and leaving in about five minutes. So yeah, I'm sure he's about, gotten I mean, some attention. I'm, you're, you know, you've been really with our, our college guys. What, why do they think Kelly left for LSU? Money. Money. That's it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think one of the Notre Dame players put up a video today. It was about a, uh, an 11-minute – uh, he called the players together early in the morning, talked to them for 11 minutes and left. It's just, Thanks. it's a crazy time. So anyway, I'm sure Sean Lewis is getting some uh, much deserved attention and we'll, we'll see. If yeah, he, he is. And, and, so. and it's a nice thing. I know that um, they've been selling a lot of shirts and things. Let's put it this way. The back football is always going to be kind of expensive. Their um, expenses and money coming in is better than most programs in the Mac. Well, I, real quick, I do want to touch on Akron since we're talking Mac football here. They are looking for a coach after they let, came, uh, they parted ways with Tom Arth. And we're seeing reports today that Joe Moorhead has emerged as a leading candidate. Jo- Joe's got a history at Akron. He was there, I think, from 2004 to 2008 as an assistant. And he was there for one year with Charlie Fry. I think it would, would have been the 2004 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting hire. J- Joe Moorhead is kind of like the godfather of the RPO and was at Fordham and then Penn State hired him and is, he, now he's at Oregon. Uh, but it sounds like he might be headed to Akron. Really interesting name to pop up for that hire. Stunning because he's making a million one at Oregon as offensive coordinator. I, I don't I'd want to see how the economics work with that. You know, you're already paying Tom Arth over 600000 next two years not to coach. And Akron has had significant money problems the whole school. So uh, if they do indeed get him, well, see, there's somebody who's a little different too, just like Lewis. You're, you're trying to get a program with an identity. Only this guy's got, you know, a lot of cachet seemingly to bring in some players. 
and he has been there before, so he should know what he's getting into. Um, he had Charlie Fry, and then he had, uh, oh, Lord, um, uh, and I should, this is one of those like an attorney, don't ask a question he can't answer. They had a transfer from Pittsburgh who came in after Fry, and that was the one that got him to the bowl game. Uh, I can't think of the, the player's name because J.D. had come from Pittsburgh. So, uh, J.D. Brookhart, had two, yep. Yeah, the, the head coach there. So they had had some good players, uh, good quarterbacks there. You know what? I believe Charlie Fry is the quarterback coach at, for the Miami Dolphins. You might be right. I think he was in the NFL. Yeah. yeah. And um, anyway, that deal with, with Moorhead could be finalized in the next 24 hours is what we're seeing. So we'll, we'll kind of keep track of that and we can always revisit it next week and uh, see how that goes. So, all right, Terry, let's talk about your faith column this week. It's coming out on Saturday on cleveland.com and then Sunday in the plane dealer. And you write about the holidays and how it's really a time. A lot of people have regrets about things they didn't do or, decisions they made and it's it's a lot of times hard for people to deal with that this time of year given all the emotional um stuff that comes with the holidays and i thought you were kind of getting some really good insights from some people you talked to about how people can think about the holidays in a different way and really really deal with those emotions well you know first of all there's there's loss usually attached especially if you're older you know the, the 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 psychological terms the empty chair or chairs at the table that used to be there and now they're not. Um, then there's another thing about, you think of all the Christmas past and sometimes we romanticize. Everybody got along well. The tree was perfect. The snow was pristine. You know, oh, I miss those chestnuts roasting in the open fire. I've never seen chestnuts roasting on any fire anywhere. I don't know what I would do with them, but you know, all that stuff. You know, it's the most wonderful time of year, but really when you kind of go back and then you remember, you know, uncle had, had bad breath and got drunk on beer and, you know, then argued with this or uh, somebody was bratty. Most of the time, Christmas has had a little bit of a gritty edge, shall we say to it. And so that's one. And then the second thing is um, we have, it, it sometimes can get us fixated in looking at life through the rear view mirror. And there's a reason that in your car, the rearview mirror is smaller, somewhat smaller than the windshield, because you're not supposed to be fixated on the rearview mirror. You're supposed to check it and so you can keep going forward. You know, you check the things that went wrong. And so that's one of those, like when you're talking to someone, like I would mention a woman I know was telling me about her mother. Mother's in a nursing home, a lot of health problems. And her mother's going, gosh, oh, never should have married, you know, your dad. How you like to hear that one? I should have married this guy. And because they got divorced and then she should have married this guy, but I didn't. And I'd be rich living in Florida. Well, you would still be in a wheelchair and you would still love this. And, and as my friend said, she goes, I used to argue with her. That, that guy was a bum. What are you talking about? <laughs> and now she said, she's really learned. And it's, it's a good let's say, yeah, mom, you know, it's just too bad. I, I feel bad for just how a lot of those things worked out. You know, it's just, but I'm really glad I'm here with you. You know, I love you. And she said it, it, it stopped it because before I, so I would just get into arguments. So one of my prayers, one suggested, we don't need dumb Christmas arguments, dumb New Year's, dumb Hanukkah arguments. And the other thing I really liked about a, a, a pastor that I've, I've just learned, I, in fact, I got an introduction to her from uh, Wayne Dawson, who not only is on Channel 8, but pastors. Uh, Grace Tabernacle Church up in Cleveland. Her name is uh, 
Pastor Robin Hedgeman, and she's at uh, uh, Bethany Christian Church in the east side of Cleveland. And she said, who said Christmas was supposed to fix everything? It's like you got these family problems. And he goes, and some, and some people, you know what they do, they're not around for the kids. All. So they, they spend all this money on stuff to kind of make up for that. And that creates a lot of things. Whereas, you know, Christmas is about, the Christians would say is about the birth of Christ, you know, new hope through that. God will take you through it, not over it. Hanukkah is about how the Jews fought, the Jewish people fought off the Greeks and they were able to retake the city of Jerusalem. Um, and I'm sure that was, a, and that you have the menorah and the nine candles to commemorate all that. You know, and we're commemorating Jesus was born literally in a barn surrounded by animals. So these are not, you know, chestnuts roasting in an open fire, the perfect Christmas thing. It's, it's more like real life. And that's what she said. Sometimes we need to remember that about the holidays. Yeah. And she had a great line, too, that I really liked about uh, Christmas should be not about presence with a T, but about yeah. presence with presence. a C yeah. and, and spending time with people. That's like the best gift you can give to people in a lot of ways so it is just like really i mentioned line. that lady with her mom listening to her and said yeah mom you know it was hard that was really bad and then she goes you know i remember back when you know when it was a christmas and you know we we went to the church at night and then we saw these people and we had a nice time with hot chocolate you know that kind of stuff mm -hmm. all right let's move to the hey terry segment of the program and terry i was going to ask you this question and then steve smith one of your readers on Facebook asked it. And so I'm going to go with Steve Smith's question because it was better than the one I had. All <laughs> and right. It's about the Cavs. All right, here we go with our Hey, Ter hey Terry segment. Hey, Terry, do you think Evan Mobley is a favorite for rookie of the year? Are you surprised by how well he and Jared Allen play together? We were just talking about that a few minutes ago. Um, here in Dallas, the Mavs are up in arms about the biggest blowout of the season. Um, what do you think about Evan Mobley as a, as a rookie of the year candidate? I would love to see a vote of the coaches because I bet he'd win. Now, other people may be looking at scoring stats and how all that goes. I mean, here's the big stat. In the month of November, he missed four games. When he played, they're eight and two. Oh, and four when he missed. That's it. Yep. Winning player who blends in and you know, he's, of course he has an ego, all these guys do, but it's nothing that is getting in the way of anybody. And you could just see that how JB, JB Bickerstaff is in heaven. This is the kind of team he wanted to have when he coached at some other places. He likes kind of tough, physically tough, big teams that are tough physically. And th so this is it. Cause it's funny. The first two games, they gave up 142, 130 points trying to play this kind of quick game that Kobe Altman liked. And it's like they're throwing the ball over the gym. The big guys are, are trailing behind. And he realized, I'm not going to win a game playing this way. So they went really to – it's not walk the ball up the court, but just play sane. And then you also see, see when you get set up in the half court a little bit, then you can move the ball a little more. And it's working. All right, this next question, also a Cavs question from Robert McClure. He says, hey, Terry, will the Cavs be buyers at the trade deadline if they're in contention, or will they, quote, stay the course to build longer term? Can it be both? I heard they're looking for a, a score to come off the bench. Remember I told you they were developing. That's where they're going to go with Sexton in that role. Right. Even if he was starting, you know, it's kind of like 
he was the opener is what he was going to be. And then go to the bench and come out of the bullpen. Uh, well, that's what they're going to look for. A guy like that. They know they need some more scoring um, to kind of make sure they get into the playoffs. And now, you know, now you guys start talking, we're at the quarter pole, you know, they're 11 and 10. So they haven't been 11 and 10 at, you know, 25% of the season since the last year of LeBron. I think they were 14 and seven then. So you got to say, all right, now, wait a minute. What, what do we need here? without busting up our core uh, that could get us another three or four wins. And that would be a scorer. He could be a guard or he could be a small forward, either one. So some kind of an, uh, of a guardians move where it's something to help with a short-term problem, but it's not going to mortgage anything down the road. Exactly. And yeah. maybe, you know, and maybe there's a guy that has a couple years left on a contract or something. And you know, one thing, if they keep winning, if Dan Gilbert's got to go into the luxury tax, he will. Oh, and we've seen that in the past before yeah. at the trade deadline, no doubt. So believe me, he would like nothing better put together a team without LeBron with these young guys and make the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, that's how Dan's wired battling through his stroke and all his other problems. He still, you know, would love to show that, you know, it wasn't all just number 23. Yep. Even years after the comic Sans uh, yeah, all that <laughs> press release, there, there, you better believe it's still there. So, all right, we got a guardians question here. Last one, Terry from Justin King on your Facebook page. He says, Hey Terry, how much do you think the MLB lockout, if there is one would impact off season activities and can the guardians front office find three outfielders? Well, they only need, two <laughs> right with miles Again, miles is miles is in center this is fascinating because first of all teams are throwing around a bunch of money right before you know the deadline looms and nobody knows what's going to happen after that how long is it going to go or what um they were shopping more for a trade type thing um i mean i guess in the end it depends on what the rules are. You can come back. You might be able to discount shop. I think there was a reason a number of these guys decide to sign these contracts. Now, some of these higher price Scherzer and Baez and some of these other pre-agents, because, you know, let's take it now. Who knows how it's going to, what mess is going to come out of this. But I, you know, baseball, if there's a easy way to do something or a hard way, which way do they go, David? The hard way. Sometimes <laughs> the almost impossible way. Well, we'll see. It's, you know, it is. They, they won't even agree that today is Wednesday. <laughs> they would not. They would. They wouldn't. If once I said it was Wednesday, they would say, yeah, but in the Orient, it's Thursday or Tuesday. They would argue it. They would. History has shown that. Um, it's, you know, you talk about the big contracts with Scherzer and, and I don't know why, but it seems like right before Christmas seems to be a window that the Indians tend to hit with somebody when the big dominoes start to fall and they wait for it to settle a little bit. And then sometimes they make a move, right? Yeah. And a lot of times they make trades too, for all the general managers meetings and all that. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with, with this. So we'll have to see, but I think they're not going to just sit there. They have some money. They have some money to spend. Uncle surprise. Roberto Perez got 5 million from the pirates. It just shows how catchers are valued, even if they are hurt or even if they don't hit very much. Um, so you know, I, I hope Roberto stays healthy. I really like him. But, man, the last couple of years, uh, he's just been out and he's looked horrible at the play. Yeah, that was a good number for him to get given his, uh, his finish here. So, all right, let's do some Terry's trivia. Oh, by the way, but if you want to hit Terry up with a Hey Terry question, you can hit him on his Facebook page. 
Or if you want to email us at sports at cleveland.com, you can just put Hey Terry in the subject line and we will try and get it onto the podcast. So, all right, Terry's trivia. Uh, we were talking about Charlie Fry earlier, the former Akron quarterback uh, who went on to be drafted by the Browns in 2005. He was a third rounder. He was a 67th overall pick and got a shot for a while uh, before moving on. So in the 2005 draft, I had a hard time remembering this, but you're probably going to nail it because every time I ask you a trivia question, you get it. Who was the Browns' first-round pick in 2005? He was third overall that year. And I'll give you a hint if you need it. He was a receiver. Was it Braylon? It was Braylon Edwards. Yes, yeah, it was. I remember Braylon, and then I forgot who the second-round pick because it was a Phil Savage draft. And uh, he was uh, – yeah, it was Braylon, and Phil was very excited. I remember Phil telling me, I know he's going to drop some passes, but he'll make some big plays, which he did for a while. Then he just started dropping passes. Yeah, and then the whole thing started and with, oh, the Browns fans don't like me because I went to Michigan oh, and all man. that stuff. Please. And, no, actually, that. they don't like you because you drop passes. You don't yeah, drop passes. <laughs> I mean, Steve Everett will tell you they like you. Hey, Donovan Peoples-Jones Peoples Jones, yeah. will tell you they like you. Absolutely. You know, just, yep. just be normal. <laughs> That's a good T-shirt. If you get yes. that out in time for Christmas, just yeah, be well, normal. Just be normal. <laughs> All right, Terry, that'll wrap it up for this week. Uh, anything else you want to throw out there before we? No, that's down a well. Vintage Browns is available. It's it just by the way made it to all the Barnes and Nobles um, in the Cleveland area. So there are signed copies at the Barnes and Noble in Fairlawn. I'm going to be going out to some of the others at least some signed copies. Uh, I just posted on my Facebook page on if you want an ebook, that's available now. It's available at Amazon. So we're starting to get it out there. Uh, starting to get more printed, starting to get it out there. The feedback from fans, and uh, here's the author telling you the fans love the book, but I'm telling you, based on all the emails, the fans love the book. Oh, good. And it, it's a lot of. Um people that you've talked to former Browns telling their stories about how they were yeah, drafted it's Brown and, and, 70s yeah. or the 80s and, and just there interesting stuff on how Marty Schottenheimer either quit got fired or after you read it you could decide exactly what came down <laughs> all so, right makes a, make it a great that and 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 I and also a couple chapters looking at Bill Belichick had he remained here how good of a coach would he become based on some research and things that looking at um his time. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one, David. He drafted 41 players with the Browns. Belichick did. How many made the Pro Bowl? Oh, boy. That's a good question. I'm going to say nine. One. Is that right? There is why. I think it was Eric Turner. There is why he would not have been a great coach here. Now, he could have been pretty good. But in terms of the drafting, was very poor, and it became better in New England. And he and, and Scott Pioli hooked up, and then they developed more of a system there. Of course, he got Tom Brady, but that's is there's some other things you look at too. Cleveland was the training wheel job for him, and you but see a lot of times where yeah, where a guy yeah. get a first job and make some mistakes, but learn from him, and then he really crushes yes. the second job. And yeah. then you see, and, he, and then you look at too how he went back with Bill Parcells, which which had to be just brutal on him because Parcells was you know tough on all his assistants, and and finally there's a lot of stuff with Bernie in there. It's, it's it was a lot of fun to write. Good, a lot good. of cool pictures too. 
Great. It's a great stocking stuff for a great Christmas present. Terry, thanks for the time as always. And thanks to you listeners always for listening and uh, coming along with us on this journey as we keep potting. Have a great weekend, everybody. Enjoy the bye week. Get outside, enjoy the weather. It'll be good. And we'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking.